This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Something hilarious just happened. I'm just getting, uh, maybe this has happened to your kid. Maybe this has happened to you. I'm just getting <laughs> pictures from my wife. So my 12-year-old is playing in a tournament uh, in Michigan, and he just scored, and as all the kids came around to do the celebration, uh, my kid and another kid's helmets got stuck. So they uh, had to spend a few minutes to pry them apart. <laughs> ah, that's rich. Seen it before, but it's always something special when it's your goofy kid uh, that it happens to. Uh, in the meantime, welcome back to the program. Thanks, as always, for joining me. And uh, we hope all of our neighbors uh, stateside had a wonderful and enriching and filling Thanksgiving, uh, which brings us to the quarter mark of the NHL season. And for a uh, a thought on what we've seen so far and what is perhaps her most interesting story, we uh, we bring Shana Goldman from the Too Many Men podcast and the Athletic as well into the broadcast here. Shana, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I am well. Uh, how? First of all, um, happy post Thanksgiving. Uh, did you eat enough yesterday? I did. You know, I, I don't think, uh, I think everyone, the turkey is the most boring part of it, but the sides are the fun part. What's your favorite? Applesauce. Boring, but it's good. A classic. Really, eh? That's okay. Yeah, I can, uh, why not? I can appreciate the value of a good applesauce. Okay, let's, um, geez, we're time I always look at the time when I'm talking to you and go like okay that's not enough okay we need more okay we need more <laughs> uh, before we drill down in a couple of games and I, and I, I do want to talk about Seattle and Vegas here in a couple of seconds um, I asked Elliot this uh, my answer to this was you know how many teams are going to make the decision now to enter the uh, the Connor Bedard slash Adam Fantilli because he's kind of closing the gap here at Michigan um, sweepstakes but what is your most interesting story at the NHL quarter mark I think it's interesting how many streaks there were around the league from the Devils winning streak, the Sabres losing streak, the Blues winning streak, the Ducks without a regulation win. They all kind of came to an end at the same time. And it's always interesting to see how a team like proceeds after a streak. Was it, do they take false ideas from their wins or losses and overreact or underreact based on it? You know, what's the team's true value? What's their, you know, true capability? Did you get to see that through the streak? You know, sometimes during winning streaks, we see, teams get really stagnant and they don't change things and adjust along the way and it ends up biting them in the long term or maybe a team wasn't as bad as we thought and they mm-hmm. overreacted or you know it's all things like that so I'm curious to see where we go and we already saw one streak turn around from the horrible losing streak to that great winning streak for the Blues and they're probably somewhere in between so I'm really curious to see where the rest of the yeah. teams start going. I'm glad you brought up the Blues because that's a really interesting case because you know a lot of a lot of teams will lie themselves into believing that their team is something that they're not. Like, you know, the, the old saying around hockey, you know this, is that, you know, every manager overvalues their own prospects and overvalues their own their own players, which is why there's very little movement outside of certainly trade deadline around the league. Uh, so hard to make a deal when everybody's over overvaluing what they have. Um, the Blues are interesting because Doug Armstrong, we've seen him do this before. We think of you know, Stastny as is, is, is an obvious one. Even if he's in a hunt for a playoff spot, even if the team is you know decent and maybe even in a playoff spot, if he doesn't think that you know their record is real, he's not shy about trading off. You know, and he's not and shy about making so. big decisions, right? You know, and like to, to me. 
Like I, I, I profoundly disagree with him on, like for example, the Petrangelo situation. Okay, and I, I still think that St. Louis is is suffering because of it. You know, much like San Jose is still suffering the loss of Joe Pavelski, I still think that St. Louis is suffering the loss of Alex Petrangelo. But his standard is he's not handing out, you know, uh, no-move clauses. He's just not giving that type of power to the player. And he dug in his heels, and that was the reason, and that is the reason why Alex Petrangelo is now a member of the Vegas Golden Knights. So I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm really curious to see what St. Louis does here and, and, you know, how much they look at this, you know, this this recent, so it was a, uh, it, well, they were hoping for an eight, but it turned into a seven-game winning streak, and where St. Louis goes. Do you have an indication from your work, you know, having a look at the uh, the underlying numbers, you know, whether this, uh, like, which which St. Louis Blues team is closer to the actual squad, the one that lost eight or the one that won seven? I really think it's somewhere in the middle because when they were losing games, we saw flaws throughout. Like, their goaltending really wasn't the problem, but in the long term, we know it is. We know that Jordan Bennington as the bonafide starter isn't the most sustainable thing. He's He runs hot. He runs cold. There's the big loser energy. There's all of that. But, like, the offense, which was their mm-hmm. best strength last year, and it was something that public measures really didn't capture well enough because we don't have pre-shot movement in the public sphere, and we know that they are so good because of their passing, and it's same on the other side of the ice. They were really yeah. good defensively because they limited passing. Like, that was their strength last year. They had the forward depth. They had that versatile offense. So this year, it does feel, even with the fact that we know that our data is limited in that sense, that the blues are underperforming offensively and you know, the loss of David Prawn is part of it, but it, it's greater than that. When this is a team that we knew had three strong scoring lines with what, nine, 20 goal scorers. And you know, on defense, there are yeah. flaws there too. So even when they were winning games, there were definitely some positive signs, but like you were mentioning before, if any team needs to take a like long, hard look at themselves and really think what's our trajectory, what's our ceiling, it's the blues. And it's teams like that, the predators that, you know, they definitely stand out the last few years of do you take a step back and look at your team and go, let's quickly retool, let's move one big piece, see what we could change super quick and how it's going to help us in the long term if we're destined for the middle again. So I think over this next stretch, they really need to consider how their offense is performing below the surface as well as the results and the same on the back end and how much they could truly do this year in season versus, you know, moving mm-hmm. a player and working at it for the next year. Completely agree. And from a hockey ops point of view, that is all very sane thinking. I, I think the only the only thing that I would throw into that conversation too, and I know everybody hates it when, you know, ownership gets involved. Um, but, you know, it's the golden rule. Um, they who have the gold makes the rules. Um, uh, there is like everybody went through COVID and everybody lost a lot of money and NHL owners, even though, you know, they're all, you know, billionaires with their other companies before they come to the NHL, like no one gets rich um, by, by having an NHL team, you're already rich. And then you buy an NHL team. Uh, And I wonder about Vancouver this way, you know, sometimes there are a lot of owners that set the mandate, which is regardless of how you feel and, and what the right move might be, for this organization for the long term, we need to try to recoup as much money as we can that we lost during COVID. So you may think you want to blow it up and you may think from a hockey operations point of view, it's the right thing to do. But this is the, uh, again, we we're talking about this in the, in, in the first segment. This is where hockey ops and business ops 
tend to clash. You know what I mean? Where, where, you know, the ownership side of things says, hold on a second here. Uh, this is a business and I'm not in the business of losing a lot of money consistently. And I'd like to recoup some of the money, um, that I did lose, uh, during COVID. I think that there's more of that going around, um, Shana, than, than, uh, than we, uh, than we pay attention to because it's, I mean, it's not quite as sexy as talking about what, you know, how, what the St. Louis Blues need to do with their roster. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no. And with Vancouver, the thing is, too, there is, I don't know what the right decision is for them. I don't think they know. I don't think anybody could tell you outright there is one clear decision. There's definitely a chain of decisions hoping they go right and building from there. But that you could say was, you know, influential last year when, if anything, they should have taken that step back. The biggest thing they could have done was moving JT Miller, avoiding getting into that contract. And then the whole Bo Horvat situation looks completely different because maybe you can manage having his contract and not those two contracts are going to age poorly at the same time. But if they made that decision last year and moved Miller, a piece we know they could have gotten a ton back for, they maybe could have gotten, you know, Mm -hmm. the pieces they needed to get better, whether it was you know, take the future assets or repackage them for something else. The smartest thing a team can do is be honest about that. But if there's other factors influencing influencing their dis- decision-making, it, it doesn't matter. You know, like now you just have to deal with the mm. results of that and they're not great and it might hurt the team further. Okay, so a couple of things here. So, um... So there's a couple of teams. We talked about streaks off the top. Or you mentioned that's your big story at the quarter mark here. New Jersey plays Buffalo today and we all know that buffalo had a spectacular i guess spectacular october we have seen it before true uh november um the buffalo sabers and their record very much softened uh the new jersey devils we just saw rip off 13 in a row before they they lost to the maple leafs on wednesday night what do you look for in this game and is the uh is the is is the answer six foot seven yeah, I think if you're talking about the Buffalo Sabres, Tage Thompson's the top of the conversation, and he really is in all situations. He's such an incredible player to watch, and it's so interesting to see, like, generally when a player shifts to wing, we can see they relieve themselves of the defensive responsibilities and they can just blow up offensively. And yeah. the opposite's true for Thompson. He's going off offensively. He's better defensively. He's taking over games. He's become the driver of that line. And I think that's so important for his development, and he's becoming a force, so... He's obviously the player to watch. The other part for the Sabres is the impact of Matias Samuelson because it's no surprise that they have him back in the lineup and they win two games. And one player doesn't decide everything, but this is a player who can take on some of the top competition in the league. That's why his numbers below the surface didn't really pop off at the time of that signing. You know, a lot of us looked at him and were like, the results are okay. They're not amazing for someone in his role. But then you consider the context of what he plays against and, you know, what his challenges are every night. And you recognize, you know, how important he is for that blue line, the stability he brings and how he takes those minutes away from other players. So tonight that's going to that'll be the players like Jesper Bratt and Jack Hughes. And if he can help limit the damage that they can cause, that's huge for the Sabres to have a chance of success. And, you know, they just rattled that off two games against a weaker Canadians team and a Blues team that's running hot. Did you, are, are you at a point now, again, it's early, but uh, are you at a point now where you look at the Tage Thompson deal and the Matias Samuelson deal, you know, much like I think we look at the Jason Robertson deal and say the same thing, they're already bargains? Well, I think, I think so for the Tage Thompson deal, and I understand not waiting on that one because if he repeats and has, you know, a 30-40 goal season, 
the cost might have gone up. That's one I can get behind signing early. The Samuelson one, I still think it's too soon to say, especially because we missed so much of his season mm-hmm. already, like his early season start with the injury. Um, that one, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if that's a little bit less data-driven than the Tate Thompson one and how much that was maybe scout-backed. And I could be wrong on that, but I am curious if that one ends up looking like a steal soon. And I think at his current rate, that could be the case because if you can have a top four defenseman for under $5 million, that's great. If you have someone you know is a force on the back end to shut down top competition and not be one-dimensional, and that's the biggest thing. You know, we think of heavy shutdown play. If you can, you know, have a little bit more of a modern spin on it, and I think he can and he can keep up with players like Darlene, that's going to be really big for the Sabres. Um, Saturday's game is a fascinating one. Uh, again, we've only got a couple of minutes here left. We need, we need like two hours. Um, Saturday talking <laughs> in Canada, Edmonton against the New York Rangers. Uh, the Oilers, as we know, are 500 and they're not supposed to be. And the Rangers, uh, if I'm, if I'm reading this correctly, it looks like they're going to scratch Vitaly Kratsov for tomorrow, for tomorrow night's game. Do you have a thought on either of these things, the 500 Oilers or what's happening with the Rangers? And even though he's ready to go and the Rangers just lost, Vitaly Kratsov looks like he just may be a healthy scritch tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, quick thoughts on both would be the Rangers' biggest problem is they aren't adaptable enough. They don't adjust enough when they have problems. It feels like they try to let things work themselves out a little bit too much, and then they try to figure out a solution, and they stick with it too long instead of, you know, like there's a balancing act between changing things around and throwing lines in the blender and, um, you know, giving things a chance to breathe. But when you have Barkley could draw up on the second line, you know, at times that's going to be a problem for the Rangers when they have a skilled player who I think could add a scoring pop that they need. They're really missing that outside their top two lines. So at this point, it mm-hmm. really doesn't make sense because even if you look at their play on the road trip, you know, they had one really good period against the Kings, but they were underwhelming, you know, otherwise against the Ducks, it felt like a game they were going to lose. And while I think that they're better than their record shows, um, we've seen stretches where they just don't have that scoring depth. And here's a player who could bring it. So he's someone that if you're going to keep giving chances to someone, this is the caliber player that you try to give them chances to and hope they hit their stride. Um, as for the Oilers, uh, they are always an adventure and i mean i don't understand what happens when you go to edmonton if like the ghost of mike smith just takes over goaltenders and i you know jack campbell was hit or miss i think going into it we think of his true value and i think last year in toronto it was obviously in between the incredible start and the disastrous finish but i would lean towards you know average to below average uh has he been great? No. Is he the only problem? No. The defense is a problem. The penalty kill is a problem, but he's not helping them. Uh, the game against the Oilers, uh, the mm. Islanders was tough because Ilya Sorokin was incredible. I think by evolving hockey, yeah. he saved 5.7 goals above expected, which is absolutely ridiculous. But That's here insane. it is. He's probably going up against. It, it, yeah, you never see that. That's double, triple what we see on a nightly basis most nights. So now you're going yeah. against Igor Shesterkin, who we know has that same kind of ceiling. So. It's not going to be easy for Edmonton. It just feels like there's no easy answer either. They need tweaks back in their own zone. Yeah. I'm sure they could use tweaks in the neutral zone, on the penalty kill, in that they have offense, and it's just not enough. That's a laundry list. Um, okay, uh, <laughs> Ken Holland, roll up your sleeves, uh, and we're done for the hour. Uh, Shana, as I always say, not enough time, not enough time. Uh, enjoy the what's left of your day. I'm assuming it's going to be in front of numerous monitors watching numerous games just like the rest of us. Thanks as always, Shana. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me.
There she is, the great Shannon Goldman from the Too Many Men podcast and The Athletic.